It's gonna be good. from Spill With Me, Jenny D Podcast. I'm here with my new guest, and this is Erin. Erin, I'm so excited you're here on Spill With Me, Jenny D. Erin is an author. She is a speaker, and she's also a grief educator. She wrote a book. The book is called My Unexpected Journey, Reflections After Losing My Son to Suicide. Please welcome Erin today. Erin, thank you so much to be here to talk about it to my listeners and to maybe educate all of us on the process and what you're going through and what you've been doing since then. Hmm, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Jenny. Um, the minute we met, I knew that we were kindred spirits. I did too. I did too. Because we talked. You're beautiful. You're oh. a beautiful soul. And, oh, thank you. And just, you know, there's people that you run across in your life and their smile or the way their eyes look at you, you can tell that we're like, we're talking to each other. We're speaking to each other. And you could be speaking to each other by just body language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, well, what I so appreciate in the first few minutes that we met is that you're willing to talk about things that nobody else is willing to talk about. Absolutely. And that's what we need to do. There's enough fakeness in this world. And so I just feel like when I find somebody who is authentic and who is willing to talk about difficult topics, that's I'm just drawn to those kind of people. Yes. I mean, I knew when I started this that there's so much out there that we've been suffering in silence. Mm. And a lot of us, you know, the things that we've been through, it is hard to be thinking you're by yourself. You're Mm -hmm. thinking you're alone. And I think by you sharing your story with all of us today, it's going to help so many people out there Mm -hmm. that feel that nobody else is listening or nobody else understands what they're going through. So I just commend you. I don't know, Erin, if you want to start from the beginning or if you just want to give us a recap, that's up to you. This is your story to tell. Um, Let me let me kind of start from the beginning because okay. I think it'll give you and the listeners a feel for kind of our journey over the last many years, actually. Right. So um, my husband and I um, have two boys, two beautiful boys. We have Max and Sam, and um, we lost Max in June of 2020 to suicide after a long battle with both mental and health, physical health issues. So when he, looking back, when he was a little boy, he was very, very sensitive. I remember as a baby putting him to sleep with lullabies and he would cry harder when I would put the lullabies on than when I turned them off. He was just a tender-hearted, sensitive soul. And when he would watch movies like Lion King and Bambi, he would sob uncontrollably. He was just a sweet, sweet, sensitive, tender-hearted boy. And that pattern continued as he got older. And when he was in high school, 
he started to exhibit some symptoms of depression and anxiety that manifested in physical ways. So we thought he had some gastrointestinal problems. We actually thought he might have had Crohn's because my husband's family, um, there are several people with Crohn's in his family. So he went through a multitude of physical medical tests that showed nothing. And then when we took him to college in fall of 2013, he had a an episode where he had to be hospitalized because he was having um, suicide ideation. He was contemplating taking his life. And that was really the beginning of his really serious battle with mental illness. So we brought him home. Uh, he enrolled at uh, a local college and attended that for a couple of years, but just continued to frankly get sicker and sicker. And a year after he was diagnosed with his mental illness, he was also diagnosed with epilepsy. He just started to get seizures out of the blue. Oh, no. And do you think that had to do with what he was going through? Like, yeah. the emotional... It's hard to say. There's definitely a correlation between depression and epilepsy, but there doesn't seem to be a causation. So, okay. we don't... I don't know that we'll ever know. But that right. was obviously having seizures and having his license taken away was a big blow to his self-esteem. Right. Which just exacerbated his depression. Right. So, so anyway, he really struggled for those years and and then he was hospitalized probably five or six times for suicide ideation. He always checked himself into a mental hospital. Oh, uh, he knew. He, he knew. He knew that he was at risk. He knew that he was at jeopardy, so he always checked himself and in. And how old was he at this time? So um, he was diagnosed with depression when he was 19 and then uh, diagnosed with epilepsy a year later, and we lost him at 25 because he was on an upswing. He had gotten his license back because his seizures were under control. Um, he was a Uber driver, um, and he was um, he was an, he was an activist. My Max was very much an activist, and so he was in the process of trying to unionize the local Uber drivers. And uh, you're kidding? Yeah, me. yeah, he was in the paper, and Aww. yeah, it was it was interesting. But then COVID hit, and so he yeah. lost his job. His gym closed. The the world shut down, and uh, he he did too. So we lost him June 3rd. And even though he had struggled so much for so long, and we struggled alongside of him, and we always feared that we would get that call, we were still completely unprepared for it when it came through. It I don't know how you could ever be prepared. Yeah, I don't either. We were blindsided. And in those months following his death, I honestly wasn't sure I was going to make it. Yeah. Um, I had difficulty getting out of bed. Um, it was it was an issue between my husband and I because his M.O. after losing Max was to stay incredibly busy. Right. Um, and oh, he, men and women do. Yeah. Tragedy, they, they have different forms of how they're going to react. And it was, I, I, I've talked to someone else about this same thing. Yeah. And I remember him coming to the door of our bedroom and saying, are you going to get up today? And you know, sometimes I drag myself out of bed to make him happy, and then my therapist finally said, you're allowed to stay in bed if you want to stay in bed. Right. So I started to say that to him. Why can't you grieve the way you want to grieve? I know. You know? And 
And then I would, I, I had a wonderful therapist that I was established with. And so I continued to see her following Max's death. And she was the one who encouraged me to journal because I would go into these sessions with her and I would just literally vomit words. I would just, I, I couldn't make sense of what I was thinking or feeling. Right. And so she encouraged me to start putting them down on paper. And That's then, idea. yeah, it was so helpful because sometimes I didn't know what I was feeling until I got it out. And then I was like, okay, this is what this is. What this is. Right. Because you're mad. You're I, sad. Oh, I, you know, you just, you have all those emotions. Yes. Why me? Why this? Why, you know? Yes. I just, I can't even imagine yeah. how you were feeling. Yeah. And your therapist, was she, I mean, has she dealt with this before? I mean, well, she's not, she doesn't focus in just grief, but she's a wonderful therapist. She does focus in trauma. And so that was really helpful because what we had been through was a traumatic loss. Um, And then I just started to put these uh, journal entries out on social media because I was kind of tired of going to Giant Eagle and having people say to me, how are you doing? Oh, I know. I can't, I mean, so what, that's the other thing is like when you are out and about, do you feel like you know, you feel it's almost like everybody knows and you, they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, they just want to be there for you. But I think the best thing that would be to, I'm here, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. instead of how you're feeling. Because, of course, you know, they should know how you're feeling. Or not know, but, you know, you you can't put yourself in somebody else's position because you don't know how exactly they're feeling. Yeah. Yeah, but the the aisles of Giant Eagle are not really the place to get into how I was feeling a couple months after my son. I'm in here. I'm getting my stuff. Right. My I just need to focus on my family. Yeah. So I started to post some things on social media, and I was overwhelmed by the kind of response that I got. You know, again, this was during COVID, so people were they were scared, they were desperate, they were confused, and there was I think maybe it was a little. Break in the fakeness, perhaps, right. of social media. And so I got really tremendous response. And that was where the idea of the book was born. Was, um, you I was, knew there was a need. I knew there was a need. And I am a big reader, so I read every grief book I could get my hands on after Max died. And most of them were not helpful. Really? Yeah, because they the, a lot of grief books want to wrap things up with a nice bow at the end. Right. And at that point, I had no idea that I I didn't think there would ever be a bow. Right. I mean, I thought, how is there going to be a bow following the I, loss of my I know. beloved boy? I, I get it. I, there's no bow at the end. It's not like you're going to be cured or you're mm-hmm. going to be like, oh, I can wake up every morning. And no, it's always there. Yeah. I mean, this is your life. This is your son. You know, people just don't get that. But the books, so you read them and then you felt that these weren't really helping you. So you knew I have to write down. Yeah. I have to write a book about what I'm journaling. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And the other thing about it is that the topic is really heavy. I talk about, you know, experiences that we had before he died. I talked about experiences that we had after he died. So the the content was really heavy. And I knew that I wanted to make it beautiful. I wanted to make it visually appealing. So um, there was a woman from my church who is a graphic designer and an illustrator. And I started to work with her. And following Max's death in the really the days, the weeks, and the months, I kept seeing the same bird over and over. I hear about that all the time. It's so common. Yes. Yeah, birds, butterflies, even bumblebees. Oh, yes. I had a lady, uh, the light flickered, and mm. she knew it was a sign. Mm-hmm. Because every time he would, you know, her son, she said that 
but they'd be at home and in, when he was living they would see this light flicker mm. and she and we were doing our podcast and the light flickered and I said he's here he's here he's Aww. with us right now you know so you what kind of bird did you see I don't know what it was yeah. um, I'm not a bird nerd so me I don't either know, don't know my birds <laughs> but robins and you know blue jays and I can't yeah remember. some of them do have like a they signify something. I think so. I'm going to have to turn, like, look at that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So my graphic designer and illustrator, she said, let's make the bird the theme of the book. So she did six original illustrations of different renditions of a bird. Was that on your table? Yes. Yeah. Very colorful, very, their watercolors, they're gorgeous, and they just appear throughout my book. So I'm very proud of the end product uh, because I talk about Max's mental illness and how difficult it is to navigate that with someone you love. I talked about losing him to suicide and just how devastating that kind of traumatic grief is. And I just talk about my loss and my grief because... Those are three things that we don't talk about regularly. Exactly, and we need to. And we need to. Right. We need to. And so my goal is really now to elevate the conversation about those three topics. And I feel in doing so, I'm honoring Max, I'm educating people, and I'm helping others. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because the more we talk about it, the more we... There's not going to... Like, solving a problem, I know a lot of people feel that, you know, oh, why are you depressed? Like you, sh- you should be happy. You, you live in a wonderful home, and you have everything. You have a nice car. You have this and that. But sometimes you don't know what's going on in your head, mm. and you can't. You can fight those demons, but it's all. It's just always. It's something in your brain that just triggers you to think things that you shouldn't be thinking, or that you feel that maybe your life isn't worth mm. the life that everyone leads. Now, how do you explain that to someone? So I think the biggest issue is that I try to explain, and I do this in my presentations. I do uh, presentations out in the community that are part educational and part testimonial. So I tell our story, I talk about Max, but I also try to educate people about mental illness, suicide, loss, and grief. And so I think the biggest thing is that we treat mental illness differently than physical illness. Yeah. And... It's it's so true. When you, we shouldn't. You were telling me that. And mm-hmm. when you were saying, we, we, we met at um, Meet the Authors in person. And Erin had her display and she had her books out. And I came over to her and I said to her, you know, please tell us a little bit about your book. And when you started talking, the whole room was silent. Mm. Because everybody wanted to know this brave mom is going to talk about her son and about about death Mm. in a way of you know people always say that that word and I'm not even going to say it with suicide they always have that one word Mm -hmm. before suicide and it's an illness. Yeah. So, yeah, tell us more. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... No, no, no. That's that's great. I'm glad that... I wanted everybody to know how, you know, <laughs> wonderful you are. I'm glad it resonated with it you. Um, so, I think we need to start treating mental illness like physical illness because it is a an illness of the brain, an right. illness of the mind. Um, and our Max's mental illness, it was not a mood. It was not a character flaw. It was not a weakness. It was not a lack of faith. It was an actual illness. Right. It just happened to be in his mind as opposed to another part of his body. And it's interesting. So he had mental illness and he also had physical illness. And when he was alive and we would start to 
talk to people about his epilepsy, we got a completely different response than we would, when we would talk about his mental illness. Mm. So people would say, oh, that has to be so hard for him to lose his license. What a blow to his self-esteem as a man. And then, and then people would really? say, yeah, people would say about his mental illness, um, what does he have to be depressed about? Oh, yeah. yes. He, he has that. a perfect life. Uh, what is a perfect life? I know, I know. We have it, and we're part of a faith community, and I'm very thankful for that. But there were people that wanted to spiritualize his mental illness and say, you know, has he prayed about it? Has he asked God to take it from him? And and I'm like, do people with cancer just, is that all we say I to know. them? Do we say, I want to have cancer, I want to be... Yeah. Yeah, do we say to them, pray for God to take your cancer away, and that's all you do? No. We say, of course you're a praying person, but you pursue medical treatment as well because, and the same thing is true of mental illness, there are medical treatments out there that are important to pursue as well as other things. So, So you know, if you think about it, it is, when you think about depression, depression is, and I didn't even, until you started talking about this, Erin, I didn't even think about this, but... Depression is also the physical. Mm. Think about, like you said, that you couldn't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. So when you're depressed and you're upset about something, I know how I am. Sometimes I overeat, stressy. When I'm stressed, mm-hmm. it makes more anxiety. Then it makes me even more upset. Yeah. So I feel like we all kind of, kind of handle things differently when it comes to depression and tragedy or anything that has happened to us. And it doesn't even have to be tragedy. Like you said, it wasn't like he was bullied in school or because a lot of people say, oh, that's why. That's why he did it because he was Mm, bullied. mm. You know, I mean, it's like people want to have an answer. Yeah. Simple answers to complex questions. Why? Yeah. Why? I don't understand that. Well, I think it's a way to help us feel safer about ourselves, maybe more reassured. If we can point to one specific issue and say, this is the cause and that's not in my life or in my child's right. life that I'm okay. We're going to be we're going to be okay, but yeah, it's mental illness is a, it, it's it is due to a complex set of factors. It's not just one right. thing. Yeah. You know, the other thing about um, mental illness and suicide is we talked about this at the author event that people often say committed suicide. Yes. And it's better to say died by suicide. Right. Because committed is a word that is used to connotate um, immoral or illegal behavior. We say committed a crime, committed murder, committed adultery. And when a person dies by suicide, they are dying because of the result of an illness of their brain. And we don't say people committed a heart attack. We don't say people committed cancer. So the same should be true of suicide. See this... When you were saying that at the event, I it really resonated because it's so true. Mm-hmm. It's so true. I mean, we, you know, I don't like you said, like committed. Like, why do we say that mm-hmm. word? And you know, the Who other thing started that. I don't know. Who? Good question. The other thing that we have taken oh. away from the vocabulary related to suicide is the idea of a successful attempt or a failed attempt. And why are we oh. making these judgment statements about what is ultimately death by an illness? Right. You know, so it's just it's just important to say, um, you know, they died by suicide or they attempted suicide. But 
don't assign success or failure to yes. that act. Yeah, yes. it's it's really interesting, and and this was all new to me. You know, after we lost Max, I I didn't know this. I didn't know this when he was struggling, and I just felt like I got such an education about the terminology and how important it is right. that we talk about it in it's the right not way. Like it's going away. Mm-mm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's Mm-mm. not like it's something that we're gonna say. Oh, okay, we're done. We don't have to talk about this topic anymore because everybody's doing well. Mm-mm. I feel like society and the community nowadays. Uh, I don't know what it's from. I don't know, like you said, with COVID happening, I feel like the younger adults, you know, I have children that are 23 and 20, and the pressures that we have on these kids, and, you know, as parents, you know, we have our own pressures of, oh, you know, my kids reflect who I am, so if they're not doing well in school, my daughter struggled with depression all through high school, and she... With grades, she had to have A's. She had to have perfect. Everything mm-hmm. had to be perfectionist. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not going to go away. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. We live in a comparison world, right? Yeah. And you know, I used to blame social media. Mm-hmm. I used to be like, "Wow, it's social media." Although we wouldn't have this platform to talk about this if we didn't have social media. So yeah. I can't blame it on. It's got to be keeping ourselves safe from certain things in the world. Mm. Or sitting back and realizing, you know, you want to do it all. You want to help everybody. But if you key on certain kind of subjects and like what you're doing right now and how you're talking to people about grief, talk about a little bit about that, like being a grief educator. Like, why don't we have that? Why don't like where did that come from? I don't even know if I've heard of it. Yeah, I hadn't either. Um, so after my book was released, I was able to connect with people from really all over the country, you know, Canada, the UK. And because my book resonated with people, either because they had a family member who struggled with mental illness, right. they had been impacted by suicide, or they were dealing with their own devastating loss. And so I was able to connect with these people, again, via social media. Right. And But then I just realized I needed to do more. I wanted to understand grief better. I wanted to help people in a different way. So I enrolled in a grief educator certification program. Um, it was 13 weeks long. It's through Where was it? It was through David Kessler training. And David Kessler is probably the preeminent grief expert in the country. Oh, okay. He worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who came up with the five stages of grief. And he's written, I think, six or seven books. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, and he is also a bereaved father. He lost a son to a drug overdose. So I really felt like he had tremendous credibility. And this grief educator program was so powerful because I was learning concepts and principles about grief that I had experienced as a grieving mom, but I couldn't put labels on. I couldn't put words to. Right. And so it was, I, w- I would learn something and I would think, oh, that's why I felt that way. Right. And so I wanted to help others to get that knowledge because I really believe that when you understand grief better, it helps you like process the terminology your own. or the um, understanding, not the vocabulary, but understanding why we do the things we do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. So yes, that's great because I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. David 
David Kessler, he talks about the six primary needs of those that are grieving. And the very first one is to have our pain witnessed. So we just need people to come alongside us, sit with us in our pain, and not try to fix it, cheer us up, rationalize it, explain it, or spiritualize it. So that's why when after Max died and people would say to us, at least he's no longer suffering, I wanted to hit them. Why do I know? I know. I don't understand why people say yeah. that. Yeah. Or um, the other one that we heard a lot is God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I was like, really? Really? I think the Bible's full of stories of people having more than they could handle. Right. <laughs> so, right. You know, so these, these, these kind of trite phrases and responses right. and platitudes that are intended to help us reframe our grief just serve to hurt us, you know? And so the most helpful people were those that just came alongside us and said, I am so sorry. Mm -hmm. I had one friend who was, she was my rock following Max's death. And I remember she was driving me home. We had been out and I said to her, I don't know how I'm going to survive this. And she said to me, I don't know either, but I'm here. And that was... Like, even now, that makes me cry because she wasn't telling me it was going to be okay because she didn't know if it would be. And and sometimes when you don't know what to say, like, just say, I'm here. I'm yeah. here. You know, I'm I'm with you and whatever you need. And you want to cry today? Let's cry. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you said that. Like, just be there with that person. Mm-hmm. Just grieve with them. Cry with them. Mm-hmm. Just be that emotional support. You don't have to say anything. Because you know? there's, there's nothing to say. Right. You know, people search for the perfect words. And when you've just lost your 25-year-old son, there are no words. Right. There are, they're not even, not only are there not perfect words, there's no words. There isn't. No. So the, that was what was most helpful, is just the people to come alongside and witness our grief. Right. So that was one of the things I learned. Um, you know, one of the other things is there are, according to experts, there's more than 10 different types of grief. I thought grief was grief. Yeah, that's what I thought. Somebody dies and you feel bad. Ten? But 10 different types. I didn't even know that. Like, so as an example, the kind of grief that we experienced was traumatic grief because we lost our son in a traumatic way. And so we weren't just dealing with his loss. We were dealing with the way in which his loss occurred. And that just adds a complexity and another layer to grief. Uh, Another example is... um, when we're facing this now with the death of Matthew Perry is this yes. this concept of collective or public grief. Right. Like, I know several people who have really been impacted hard by Matthew Perry's death because... Well, we grew up with them. Yeah, we grew up with them. Yeah, and we watched all his shows. We loved, we loved that group of people right. on Friends. We I know this a, a friend of mine just read his memoir and was so impressed with his authenticity and his vulnerability. And so we're impacted by that. Right. And I think we can, you know, take a step back and say, I didn't even know him. Why is his death affecting me? I know. But that's an example of collective grief, public grief. So there's people are saying, why? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Why did he die? Exactly. You know, I want to know why. I mean, he's my age. Why did he die? Yeah. So, Instead of saying, you know what, let his family and friends grieve. Mm, you know, and just 
we had him and we embraced and loved him and celebrated him when he was here and and all his shows that he's done and movies and friends and that's all we can do right mm-hmm. now you know it's just celebrate him yeah that's a good point Jenny and you know what I love what you just said that we want to know why we want to know the why that's, yeah Americans we have to know why yeah and I think that goes back to that if we can point to the why for him we can say well then that's not going to happen to me that's not going right. to happen in my life that's not going to happen to somebody I love because I don't do that or my right. loved one doesn't you know do that so right. the why is it's really not productive it is just a way to try to give our, give ourselves a false sense of security and a false sense of control so it's so true and it's almost like a, a hamster on a wheel you know you're not going to find that answer you're just going to keep going around and around mm-hmm. and around because you don't know what's going on with someone when something happens you know when you say about if someone gets an illness and this isn't illness this is your you know it's like if you think about it this is your brain so if you get cancer you know god forbid breast cancer or something like that that is something that people oh wish well, she has cancer well, mental illness, well, you have chemical imbalance, or what would you say that was, Erin, like, in your brain? Your brain is just not telling you or signaling you things to, like, a happier kind of, I don't know. Yeah, well, I... you know, they give you all these medicines yeah. and, like, pills, and it kind of... Sometimes it makes it worse. Yeah. So oh. um, many, many types of mental illness are chemical imbalances in the brain. Just right. like, you know, diabetes is a, is a physiological problem in your mm-hmm. body. Mental, often mental illnesses as well in your brain. And, but the thing about mental illness, depression in particular, is we, there's so much we don't know. And so I know with Max, he had tried multiple different antidepressants and he was just medication resistant when he we had a doctor tell us when he was alive that trying to find a medication to treat depression is like trying on shoes without knowing your size Mm -hmm. so it's trial and error right you just try this one and it's not like you know you take it today and know tomorrow if it's going to work you have to take Take it it for a period of time get get it to a therapeutic level and see if it's going to work and so he when we went to clean out his room after he passed he had an entire Trader Joe's um grocery bag full of medications that he had taken that hadn't worked so so that's that's an issue too when it comes we're medicating and medicating and Mm -hmm. medicating and it's important to pursue medication because we have made strides in medication, right. but it's not as simple as... And it's not the end all. It's not the end all. No, no, absolutely not. Right. I mean, it's, it's a, it is one prong in a, in a, a treatment therapy. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's important to pursue medication. It's important to pursue lifestyle choices like exercise and eating well and sleep is so important. And so it's, it's, it's a combination. Right. It's not just one thing. Yeah. But the other thing about mental illness is that we often think of it just as it relates to mood, but the opposite of depression is not happiness. It's motivation. And so, oh, okay. Wait a minute. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I understand this. So you're saying that by getting out of bed. Yes, I didn't have the motivation to get out of bed. And you're more depressed. And Max didn't either. When he was in a depressive episode, I would call him and say, "Honey, get out of bed. It's a beautiful day. Go for a walk. Call a friend. Go to the park. Go to the gym. Do something." Right. And he honestly couldn't 
muscular Physically, motivation. Physically, could knock it, yeah. Yeah, to get out of bed. And so that's a real misnomer, is really people think of depression as like feeling blue, um, as a passing mood. And it's not. It's, again, a and medical issue. I feel like issue. I've had that happen to me. Mm. You know, it might not have been the same exact circumstance, but I know I, I've had my days yeah. where I couldn't get out of bed. And yeah. it's just... And your voices tell you, you know, you have to, like, you know, you have your head telling you, all right, get up, you need to do something. And then you feel even worse mm. because you feel guilty that you're laying in bed and that you can't get yourself up because you don't have the energy, you don't have the sustainability to conquer that day or to face things you don't want to, your fears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm learning so much from you, Erin. What you're doing is incredible. You're oh, educating you. so many people, and I, I'm sure there are people out there, listeners, that may know someone or may have gone through this, and we're, we're not seeing the other side. You're bringing us to that other side mm. of what it's like to be that person has gone through it and seen it all, but you educated yourself to know, wait a minute, there's a lot more to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. Tell us more about your book. Well, so as I mentioned, it chronicles the 18 months following Max's death. And the way that we decided to break it down is by time periods. So, you know, we talk like a about... Chapter, like if you have a yeah, chapter. Yeah, so it's... I, um, I'm going to forget whether it's four... I think it's five different sections. But, you know, at first it's like, uh, you know, the, just the the tragedy dealing with the, the, the loss. Then I go into the holidays because those first holidays after losing him I can't even imagine were they're a blur frankly and you know everything changes everything we were always the hosts for Christmas we were always the the people that relished the Christmas decorations and I don't think I've had a Christmas tree since he passed and so talked about how difficult that is my husband and I are fortunate enough to spend some time in Florida in the winter. So I, then the next section talked about, you know, getting away to that sort of respite, that place of peace where I could get a little distance from his childhood home and all the memories. Right. There's a section about coming home and the anniversary of his death. So it really chronicles those 18 months and just the roller coaster mm-hmm. of emotions that we went through. And it doesn't end with a pretty little bow because there isn't one. Right. But I was getting to the point in the at that you know seventeenth, eighteenth month where I was I could see a future where I would have hope again because I lost my hope. Oh yes, right. I lost exactly. my hope for a long time. Um, and one of the other things I talk about in my book is the way that his loss impacted me spiritually. Mm-hmm. You know, as I mentioned, we're people of faith, and Max grew right. up in the church, and he was very involved. And I was really angry with God yeah. that he died because I prayed for my boy every day for eight years. Right. We had prayer gatherings at our home. He was on the prayer list of probably close to 100 people, and I'm not kidding. Right. And so, and I remember walking in my neighborhood probably, I don't know, a year and a half before he died, and I felt God say to me, he's going to be okay. And so I thought that meant he was going to be okay here. Right. And then when he died, I thought, this isn't the way this story was no. supposed to end. No. And so I was really angry, and I really went through a dark night of the soul. I went through a period of time where I was very, very and far from God. And that's fine. 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like, we feel guilty, but if somebody, this happens to someone else, it's okay mm-hmm. to feel that way, to be upset, to be mad. Mm-hmm. You know, because you do, when you have faith, you do expect that faith will help you get through it or just be there for you mm-hmm. and not take, you know, your son's life. But I think what happened was, is I think that God maybe had a different. I mean, you know how people say that. Yeah. A different path. Yeah, well, I mean, he is. Max is okay. Max is okay now because he's with God. And he's not suffering. And he is in a better place. And all those little cliches that people said to us right after he died, they're true. Um, But I wasn't in a position to hear them that back then. I needed to get to that place on my own. Right. And, you know, to your point, is it okay to question God, to get angry at God? And my pastors told me it was. I had that permission right from the get-go. And that was so helpful. Right. Because I could have just wallowed in that guilt and that shame. But I knew that God was bigger than any question or doubt or anything I could throw at him. I knew that he could handle it. Right. So that was, it was really helpful for me to have that permission. It's powerful. Mm Mm-hmm. It really is. It's powerful because, you know, like you said before, like we think of these answers, like, you know, this person's supposed to be here for me. This person's supposed to do this for me. And we, you know, and you're spiritual and you do like religion. If you are religious, you look at it as a higher being. Mm-hmm. Like this person's supposed to be, I'm praying, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing, you know. Mm-hmm. So t- I'm sorry, tell us a little bit more about the chapter. So there's five chapters. Your last chapter, you were saying. Is hope. It's, and it's not a chapter, it's more of a section. It's more of a section, yeah. okay. Because each section is comprised. And I'm sorry, I haven't read the book. Oh, that's okay. We met so quickly <laughs> that I didn't get a chance to read it, but I really wanted to get your message out yeah. there. Um, it's Because each section is a compilation of these reflections, like journal entries. And so that last section is called Hoping for Hope. And and yeah. I, you know, I feel like I have gotten to the place where I have hope in my life again. And in those first few months, I never thought that yeah. would be the case. I never anticipated that I would, you know, get to a place where I would have hope for my life, hope for my future, hope for hope to come alongside other people, mm-hmm. strength to come alongside other people. Oh, you, you're probably like people's strength right now. Well, they and been going through some things. Too. The grief groups that I, I offer these online short-term grief groups that are part educational because I want people to understand grief, but I also want to just give them a safe place to share their story, and that's just really helpful. It's rewarding for me. It's it's a, a way safe to place. yeah a safe place. It's a way to honor my boy, and you know that's my mission. That's my mission now right. is to remember him, to honor him, and to help other people in his name. That's my goal. I love it, and and you're doing it, mm-hmm. and you're doing it. You were telling me off air about how you actually went to and talked to like professionals in business. This isn't like an age thing. It's not like you're gonna oh we're only gonna talk to teenagers about grief mm-hmm. or about uh, depression. No, it's everyone. Mm-hmm. It's any age. It could be any age. So tell us a little bit how you went and spoke to some business. Yeah, so um, I really want to get the word out. I really want to elevate the conversation about these often taboo topics. Right. And so I've done four or five presentations um, in the last several months at churches or community groups or even a, a business. I actually went to a law firm this past summer. They had lost a partner to suicide, and it had really impacted 
impacted their office. It right. really impacted the morale. And they didn't understand. Yeah, they didn't understand it. And they want, like you said, they want an answer. Yeah. So um, that was very rewarding because, again, I was able to go in there and I was able to talk to them about my max. I was able to share a little bit about what I've, what I've learned about mental illness, suicide, and loss and grief. And and I think when I talk to a group of people, it's almost as if I'm giving them permission to ask questions, to to right. feel those true. things. It is true. To to admit that there is an issue in their life that they're struggling with. Right. And I just think that's powerful. It is powerful because they see a woman like you that how powerful you are. Mm. That you're able to talk about it. You're here telling people that we need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. We have hope. I love that. Hoping for hope. Mm. And not having that in the beginning and knowing that, you know what, there's a, a light. It might be a small light at the end of the tunnel, but there is a light. There can in be. In that darkness. There, there can, can be. be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think that there probably are a lot of people out there that struggle with trying to find that light. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've taken on the mission to write your book, you know, to keep his memory alive, to let people know exactly what he went through. And there are other people out there that need to know, to learn that it's okay. What was I saying about my my new motto for my podcast? Mm-hmm. Is it's okay not to be okay. Amen. We don't have to be perfect. No. We don't have to be these people that, you know, what, what was that, Stafford Wives? That's like really not the same subject. But, you know, we don't have to be this certain type of person. We all have our struggles. Yeah. And yeah. you're able to open up that conversation, Erin. It's amazing. Mm. It really is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I just, again, I feel like that's a way to honor Max. You know, Max was, he was very honest about his struggles. And I feel like he really taught me a lot about that. Yes. And I want to be honest as well. Right. Because as we've said, there's enough posturing and pretending and right. fakeness out there. I don't, I don't want to be part of that game. Right. I want to be part of being real and authentic and vulnerable because yes. I think that that's what the world needs. It is. <laughs> I mean, we're we're telling our stories, mm-hmm. you know, and we're helping with our stories. If some, if we can help one person, like I've always said this, then I feel like I'm doing what I set out to do, and I feel like that's what you're doing. Yeah. Now, as far as if somebody wants to get a hold of you and they want you to speak or anything like that, we'll have all that underneath and about your book. So um, tell us a little bit about how they would pursue someone like you. Okay, so my book is available on Amazon, and it is called My Unexpected Journey, Reflections After Losing my son to suicide and as far as contacting me for grief educator services so I offer peer-to-peer one-on-one support so there are people that I meet with a few times just to talk about what they're going through and I help to set them up with LPCs which is a licensed professional counselor maybe who focuses in grief or if they have some just old wounds that they need to deal with I try to direct them in the right place Um, I also offer these online short-term support groups. And my husband and I joined a support group about a year after losing Max. And it was probably the single greatest factor in our healing. Because you touched upon this at the very beginning, Jenny. You said we often feel so alone. And we did. We felt like nobody understood what we we were going through. We felt like we were aliens. Mm -hmm. 
like everybody else was speaking a different language than us. So being with a group of people who have experienced what you've experienced is so incredibly powerful. It normalizes your experience. It validates your thoughts and your feelings. And so I try to replicate that for others. But my groups are short term. They're about six weeks because I feel like sometimes when you're grieving, that's all you can commit to. And they're also educational. I start off every session with a brief teaching about grief. So it might be the different types of grief. We might talk about the stages of grief. We might talk about those six needs of the grieving. Because again, I think that when people have that knowledge, they're better able to process their own grief. Um, And then I offer these presentations out in the community and where I just talk about my max. I talk about what I've learned about mental illness and suicide and also talk about loss and grief because I think that those are really important oh, topics. They're very important. And I feel like what you're doing, and like you said before, you may not, they may not be at that stage or they may not be ready for to talk about it, but there's always knowing that there's someone like you out there. Mm-hmm. So until you know, and when do you know that, Erin? Like, when do you know, okay, it's time for me to get help? Is it when you're feeling like, I can't get out of bed, or I, how do you know? Yeah, I think everybody's different. You know, there, you know, some people really seek help very, very early on within the first couple of weeks. And for some people, it takes them a little bit longer. And, you know, that's the other thing I want people to know about grief is there is no timeline. There is no, uh, there, it's not linear. Grief is not linear. The facilitator of our suicide survivor support group says our grief is as unique as our fingerprint because we're all going to do it in our own time and our own way. And when we run into trouble is when we say, I should feel better a year, or I should be over this, or when other people tell us how we're grieving is right or wrong. And there is no right or wrong way, so it's really just a personal decision. And they just don't, sometimes you just don't get it. Or, you know, there's different forms of grief, too. I mean, there's, there's times where I meet people, and they'll be upset or depressed about something and they'll say I don't even know why I'm depressed I shouldn't be like look at so and so or this person their their tragedy is bigger than mine or worse than mine mm-hmm. there is no whose is worse Mm-mm. it's it's who you are mm-hmm. inside and what you're dealing with mm-hmm. you know that's one thing that David Kessler says he says everybody's loss is their worst because it's right. what they're facing. Exactly. And again, we get into trouble when we compare, when we say, yes. oh, I shouldn't feel so bad because her tragedy is so much worse than mine, or my tragedy is the very worst tragedy anyone could experience. Right. Because both of those frames of mind can keep us stuck, Yeah. can keep us, can prevent us from seeking help, from can prevent moving us from on. moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the comparison you know, we haven't we learned that by now that I comparing just we gotta stop. <laughs> doesn't do stop any good. Comparing. Oh, Erin, yeah. this was so educational for me, oh. and I know my listeners are gonna find so much—not the word satisfied, not satis- satisfied, but not gratitude, but almost not solitude. What's the word? I feel like they're going to feel that they're going to come away from this podcast episode and realize that it's okay to have grief and how you handle it is the way you handle it. But there's resources, there's help, there's support groups, Mm -hmm. there's people out there Mm -hmm. for whatever you're going through. But we really like to talk about the subject of mental illness. Yeah. That's a big thing for me right now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. Yeah. To your point, it's not going away. It's not going away. So we are here for, you know, if you want to read her book or if you want her services. I mean, Erin, I'll have everything underneath. And I just, I just you're so brave. Mm, thank you. And I appreciate you coming on and speaking about your tragedy and making it into something where you, you know Max would want you to educate and help others. Mm, I appreciate you. that. Thank you. If well, there's anything else you'd like to say? I just want to thank you for inviting me on because this is my mission and you have given me a platform to continue to talk. So thank you. I always will. And I'll have you on again. Okay. I, <laughs> I like That'd be great. Recurring <laughs> guests on. So thank you so much for being on Spill with me, Jenny D. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks. All Take right. care. Bye-bye. Come spill with me.